Welcome to the Zico Health Show. This is weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. Here we discuss fitness, nutrition, gut health, alternative medicine, and anything else that impacts your health and fitness. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. So everyone, welcome to another episode of the Zico Health Show. This is fitness, nutrition, and weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. And in today's episode, I want to talk about fat oxidation. Now, why is this an important topic? Well, anyone who struggles to lose weight, anyone, they struggle to achieve and maintain fat oxidation. That's why I always say it's not just about the calories, but what your body is actually doing. So in this episode, I'm going to define what that really is, and then I'm going to dig deep into habits that prevent us from achieving and accelerating fat oxidation. So if you struggle to lose body fat, please stay tuned to this episode. Now, for anyone who is new to this show, if you listen for the first time, I want you to know that this show is primarily a weight management show. And what I do is I give you the tools to improve your health so you can maintain your body weight. See, most weight loss plans fail long term, primarily because they focus entirely too much on calories or even macros, but they don't give you the tools that you need to improve your health. Because you've heard me say multiple times, our bodies are designed to build muscle and burn fat. But it won't do that if it's not given what's needed to do so. And fat oxidation falls into this category. You know how they say some people have healthy metabolism? People with healthy metabolism, or you may want to say a fast metabolism, can maintain fat oxidation. But before I get any further, talking about health, I want to stop and talk about a study that came across, actually, I came across recently. It's posted on um, PubMed.gov, and it's titled, Outcome Reporting Bias in COVID-19 mRNA Vaccine Clinical Trials. I want you to listen very close to this study, and by the way, this and every study will be in the show notes. I believe I'm going to name this one, um, let's say zikahealth.com slash fat oxidation. Let's say that's going to be the name for it. And of course, if I change the name, the description, or shall I say the um, show notes will be in the description of the podcast so you can click on the link and get what you need as well. But as I was saying, in this study, this PubMed article, the numbers are so shocking especially if you haven't been paying attention. See, it states that relative risk reduction and absolute risk reduction measures in the evaluation of clinical trial data are poorly understood by health professionals and the public. Now, I want to stop there and kind of say this. 
there is a difference between relative risk reduction and actual risk reduction, and that I'm going to get into further on as well. But in this article, it goes on to say that the absence of reporting absolute risk reduction in COVID-19 vaccine clinical trials can lead to outcome reporting bias that affects the interpretation of the vaccine efficiency. Now, I want you to stop and think about that. Because it's saying, because it's not reporting the actual risk reduction, there may be reporting bias. We're using the word may, I'm saying there is reporting bias in the effectiveness of the COVID vaccines. Now, let me define absolute risk reduction and relative risk reduction so you get a better idea of where I'm going with this. See, according to another PubMed article, relative risk reduction tells you by how much the treatment reduced the risk of bad outcomes relative to the control group who didn't have the treatment. So it's basically the, the difference in the control group versus the non-control group. Okay, that makes sense. I don't think there's an issue there, right? But here's the kicker. The absolute risk reduction, also called the risk difference, is the most useful way of presenting research results to help your decision-making. Think about that. There's... Articles also I found even on um, on PubMed and other um, in other um, um, medical journals that indicate that the actual risk reduction is your actual risk or reduction in your actual risk when you take the medicine, and that's very important to understand the difference. Now let's teeter back or to the original article I was talking about. See, it mentioned. Claims that the numbers regarding the effectiveness of the COVID vaccines are poorly, poorly overstated. This study, the one I'm mentioning now, uses epidemiologic tools to critically appraise reports of efficacy in the Pfizer and Moderna COVID-19 mRNA vaccine clinical trials. So it's important. We didn't look at, they didn't look at AstraZeneca. They didn't look at Johnson Johnson. We're looking at just those two in this particular study. Based on data reported by the manufacturer for Pfizer, the critical appraisal shows relative risk reduction of 95.1%. So when it's tested on the critical versus the, um, I'm sorry, the control group versus non-control group, they say that we have a risk reduction of 95%. So you should be 95% more protected from COVID, right? All right. Now, for Moderna, the appraisal shows a relative risk reduction of 94%. Still pretty good, right? I mean, I'll feel good if I take something and I'm 94, 95% more, more protected. I mean, who wouldn't feel good? But here are the actual findings. And this is straight from the article, not from me. Unreported absolute risk reduction measures of 0.7% and 1.1% for Pfizer, 
and Moderna vaccine. Not 94, 95%, not 80%, not 50, not even 10%. Actual risk reduction measures of 0.7 and 1.1%. Relatively much lower than the reported relative risk reduction measures. I would say so. Over 90 some percent. And I ran this article by an epidemiologist that I know. And he responded that, yes, we do need more studies because I'm not saying don't take the vaccines and take this as Bible, but we should never trust the relative risk reduction in any medicine. That's coming straight from this epidemiologist. Never trust the relative risk reduction. Always trust the absolute risk reduction. That is your actual reduction in risk when you take medicine. Anyway, the article concludes by saying, reporting absolute risk reduction measures is essential to prevent outcome reporting bias in the evaluation of COVID-19 vaccine efficacy. Think about that. Now, of course, both articles are going to be in the show notes because seeing is believing. But I want you to see it and read it and digest it and really think about it. Because regardless of which side of the fence you stand on, there is no true replacement for diet and nutrition. None. And that's what I want to bring up to people. Stop looking for a pill to fix everything. Where, yes, we're in the microwave generation where everything happens instantaneously. Or I, actually, I like to call it the pill popping generation. But stop looking for a pill for everything. And that's why I have this Zika Health show. And that's why I'm going to talk about the things that I'm going to talk about today and get into fat oxidation and talk about natural ways that you can improve your health. Because if you want to be truly healthy, you need to manage inflammation, oxidative stress, gut bacteria, and so many other factors that play in maintaining a healthy body weight. See, we treat weight loss like a gimmick. I want to look nice, I want to fit in my bikini or my boy shorts or whatever, right? But it's not a gimmick. You have to understand that in many cases, in most cases, your body weight is tied into your health. And we have reports from the CDC that states that over 78% of the people hospitalized with COVID are overweight or obese. 78%. And we hear all these things about, oh, people are dying. And look, I'm not saying that, you know, it should happen and it's really unfortunate and my heart aches because I've lost people in my life and I know how bad that can be. But what I'm getting at here is that we can do the best way to protect ourselves, vaccinated or not, is by taking care of our health, losing excess body fat, reducing inflammation and so on and so forth. The buck stops with you. And I always tell people, I will not put my health in anybody's hands but myself.
I really do hope to see more studies in, on this as we go forward. Because I really want to see the true effectiveness of these vaccines. But for now, I'm leaving you with this. And then we're going to get into the episode. And I'm going to talk about fat oxidation. So, like I start every show, I start with what? A definition. What is fat oxidation? Well, simply put, it's the breakdown of triglycerides stored in fat cells and free fatty acids in, the, in your blood, which is then used for energy. See, during any activity, there will be some fats used for energy. But the problem is, if your body is not breaking down enough body fat for energy, it's going to call on food. Ask you to eat more sugars, eat more carbs. That's when your blood sugar drops, you feel crazy. You, you, you don't feel like yourself. Okay, your body is not sustaining fat oxidation. And that's why this, important, this episode is going to be so important for you. Because it's these tips can really help you to get to that next level, especially if you're on a plateau. It can really kickstart you into a whole different stratosphere. So the question you have to really ask yourself is, how can I make my body break down stored fat as energy? Because if you want to lose weight, that's what you have to do. And again, this is why focusing primarily on calories or even sometimes macros is a waste of your time. Some trainers say, eat less calories, you'll burn more fat. That's absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. And any trainer that tells you that, you can send them to me, my Instagram, at Zico Health, and I'll set them straight. And you probably need to find a new one, by the way. Or you know what? Find a nutritionist or someone that's certified in nutrition or a registered dietitian who really understands what they're talking about. Because you may lose some weight in the beginning, but to sustain it, your body has to be turned on to where it's constantly burning fat as fuel. Transforming your metabolism, which is key for maintaining a healthy body weight. So, let's count the ways that they would be wrong. I feel like the count now from Sesame Street. Ho, 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 ho. Let's count the ways. I end up doing that voice, right? One, your BMI adjusts. Your body will adjust the amount of calories you feed it. And we'll learn to use them to primarily maintain a certain body weight. Your body will realize, hmm, he's only going to feed me so much. So then it will start to maintain a certain body weight based on that. So you're going to get stuck. That's why you hit plateaus. Your body gets stuck. Two. Yes, I'm doing the count for all counts. Your body goes into survival mode. You heard me talk about this so many times. If you constantly stay underfed, your body will attempt to store as much body fat as possible for future use. 
Some people say, hmm, I'm eating a salad every day, but I'm gaining weight. Hmm. Your body's trying to store, it's trying to store energy. Three, raises your cortisol levels, leading to high blood pressure, jitters, and a host of other health problems. In fact, that's one of the reasons why when you're underfed, you, have a, you respond to things a little differently. You get upset faster. Four, your body will only divert most nutrients to your large arteries, not leaving enough for the smaller processes. Now, this is important because then your body's like, okay, there's certain organs that have to pump and work for you to be able to survive. And your body is going to pump to those organs, like your heart. But as time goes along, it will start robbing from smaller processes that are important, but you'll still be alive if they don't really function at their best. Kind of like a car. Your car robs energy from one place. If your alternator is giving you trouble, it starts to rob from your battery, but that's going to last so long. And that's how the body operates. A lot more complex on a car, believe it or not, but that's a general idea. Five, ha, 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 ha. You are insulin sensitive, aka type 2 diabetic. I should say, if you are insulin insensitive, your body will still store fat, especially, especially if you're still take, if you're taking insulin. I released um, on my Instagram. By the time this episode comes out, it's going to be a few weeks behind, but I released, it was today, if you want to go back on my post, it's uh, September 9th, on my Instagram, at Zico Health, a list of 10 medications, the, the main culprits, that if you're taking these, it make it hard for you to lose weight. Because, and that's how one of my friends, one of my closest friends always says, if you take medicine, what's your plan to get off it? Because then you show up, so I want to lose weight and you know, I want to get healthier. But the medication can actually block and stop that. And medication should always be a last resort or a temporary thing. Humans are not made to live on medicine for the rest of their lives. So insulin is one of the biggest culprits. Because insulin is not just a medicine. It's a hormone. That when you, it actually takes blood sugar and stores it in your body fat. Think about that. So when you're taking insulin, that's what it's doing. Your body can't break down the food properly. It inhibits fat oxidation and actually goes the other way, causes you to gain more body fat. So yes, these are just some things that can happen and why we can't just talk about calories. So yeah. Stop talking about them. Or I wouldn't say altogether, but change the conversation. And let's find healthy ways to promote fat oxidation. Now, what are these ways, I wonder? Here's another list, but not doing the count this time. It's this regular, boring old, you know, Narado's Eco Powell that trainer nutritionist guy that apparently talks too much. 
One is fasting. Now, fasting and not eating is not, is not the same thing. And by the way, anybody that knows me, been listening to me, or, or my clients know that every week I do a dinner-to-dinner -dinner fast, 24 hours. Every week. And I'm on my dinner fast, and I record my episode while I'm on my fast, and I'm going to eat after I put this episode together. But if you're not accustomed to fasting, you may want to implement it under the guide of a certified or a licensed professional. Because where most people go wrong with fasting, they just, like I said, stop eating and think that's, that's, that's okay. But there's a lot of stuff that can happen by just stop eating. You can go into, into a glyce, into, um, glycemic shock. You know, you can, you can lose focus. You can get dizzy. A lot of things that can happen if you just stop eating. And that's why you need to do it in the presence or under the guidance of a professional. And if you don't fast properly, your body will not burn extra body fat. So it's important to couple fasting with the next thing I'm about to say, movement. See, constant movement tells your body to use blood glucose, stored glycogen, and then body fat. Because you know I've said it, it's a three-prong approach. Glucose is in your blood, then it goes to stored glycogen, and then once it uses that up, then it goes to body fat. But for your body to really do that, it has to pass the first two phases, right? So you got to store everything. And that's why constantly eating carbs is hard to lose weight because you're constantly giving your body glucose and then glycogen it can store. So it never gets to the body fat. So that's why movement in a fasted state is important. Exercising in a fasted state promotes fat loss. But don't stop there. You have to keep moving. A minimum of 10,000 steps per day. Even better. 12,000 steps a day if you're trying to lose weight. I've talked to clients and say, I struggle to lose weight. And I say, well, are you walking? Yeah, I do. I walk a lot. That's okay. How much is it? Six or 7,000 steps a day. I'm like, you kidding me? I get that before lunchtime. Remember my rule? I don't sit for more than an hour at a time. Even if it means getting up for five minutes, stretching my legs and coming back. It may sound like, you know, unnecessary, but it's so good for your health, especially if you're trying to lose weight. Human beings are not designed to be couch potatoes. The next thing is hunger. This is a great cue. If you're not hungry, then you're not efficient at burning fat. And this is how fasting and movement can help. Again, you may want to work with an expert who can teach you proper fasting habits. What and when to eat and so on. And I will eventually, we'll have a fasting um, expert on the show. But hunger is a great cue. People who struggle to lose weight are rarely hungry because their metabolism is not fast enough. Their body is not accustomed to burning fat and their metabolism is pretty slow. So by telling someone eat six times a day, especially if you're trying to lose weight or if you're diabetic, primarily type two, that's not going to help you very much. It may hurt you, actually. And that's why moving in a fasted state is important 
to train your body to burn body fat. The next thing is really important. Well, I would say they're all important, but this one's one of my favorites because we don't think about it. Eating too much in each meal. See, there's tons of research that shows that frequent small meals, small meals can be more effective than few large meals. But in the beginning, you may want to eat few small meals as your metabolism speeds up. You can then eat more often. But you don't want to eat a lot in each meal, especially when you're talking about fats, proteins, and carbs, because nothing in nature, there's no food in nature other than maybe breast milk that's going to be high in fat, protein, and carbs. We put our plates together like that. Processed foods may come like that. But nothing in nature really comes like that. So what happens? Our bodies have a hard time breaking it down. And we're constantly feeding it fat, protein, and carbs in each meal. It's going to store a lot of it because your body can't use it. And that's why eating few small meals can be beneficial and not eating too much in each meal can really be beneficial. And lastly, strength train. Stop trying to outrun your plate. Cardio is important and movement is important. Not to burn calories like some people might say. And those people don't have, have no clue what the hell they're talking about. It's important to create epoch where you burn in, um, I guess you say calories, right? Throughout the day, your metabolism speeds up. Your body is using nutrients correctly. So it's not about what you burn during the exercise, but what it happens the rest of the day is what you're looking at. But you still have to strength train. Because strength training and developing lean muscle is vital to generate heat, burn more calories, and body fat. I released an episode a few weeks ago, by the time this comes out, it's probably going to be a couple months behind, about building muscle and weight loss and how important that is. And then muscle burns 5.5 more calories per pound than body fat. So you, out, you try to outrun your plate, but then you're cutting into, you may be cutting into body fat and you're starting to lose a little bit of weight. But if you want to sustain that, you need to strength train and develop sleek, lean muscle. I'm not asking you to look like a bodybuilder. I'm about 48% skeletal muscle and I still don't look like a bodybuilder. And just, just to make you think about what that even is, that anything about 44% skeletal muscle is considered high. And again, I'm 48%. So that's extremely high, especially for my age of 38. So yes, developing lean muscle looks good and help you to burn body fat while you're sitting on the couch. So you put all those things together, and booyah, you break through your plateau, you're losing weight, and you are at a whole different stratosphere.
Thanks for joining me today. Remember, join the Zika Health Crew on Facebook. Stay awesome, fam. Thanks for listening to the Zico Health Show. If you got good quality content out of this episode, save, subscribe, and share it out there with family, friends, co-workers, or anybody who needs to hear this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.